So, as I said at the beginning, my name is Cole. Ryan is uh, normally up here in front of y'all, uh, but he gave me the opportunity to speak to y'all tonight. Um, and it's a, it's a very excited thing for me. I've, I've mentioned before, this is the student ministry uh, that raised me. Uh, I grew up at Beach. I grew up in Jacksonville. Um, and so it's really cool now to be up here on the other end of it and getting a chance to uh, pour back into y'all in the ways that people before me poured into me. Uh, and so we've been now in this series this is the second week of it called Like a Boss. Everybody say, Like a Boss. Say, Like a Boss. Exactly. So, Like a Boss. And we've been doing this Like a Boss series following the story of one individual's life, Joseph. Joseph was this guy from way back in the Old Testament, far long before even Jesus. This is not Joseph who was Jesus' father then by that regard. He was uh, Joseph who was Israel's son, Jacob's son. He was one of 12 brothers. Last week, Ryan shared about that. He, he talked from Genesis chapter 37. And he talked about this, this guy named Joseph who was one of 12. And he had this dream. And he had a dream again and again where all of his brothers were going to be bowing down before him. And so, or like an idiot, he shared that dream with his family um, and, and unsurprisingly, they hated him for it. They're like, what do you, I mean, who are you saying? You're, you're, there's a baby that's younger than you, Benjamin, but you are an idiot. How are we ever going to bow down to you? But nevertheless, he and his, whatever you want to call it, naiveness, I don't know if naiveness is even a word, um, he, he continued to tell them about it. And so they, they decided, okay, well, the next best thing for us to do is to kill him. If he's not going to shut up about this stuff, we're going to kill him. So they have it in mind. They're going to do it. And they said to themselves, you know what? No, killing him is too extreme. We don't want the blood on our hands. Let's sell him into slavery. So they sell him into slavery, and that's where chapter 37 ends. And tonight we're going to be reading from chapter 39. We're actually going to skip 38. 38 is all about uh, one of the other brothers, Judah and Tamar. And it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great chapter to read if you want to see what being a boss is not like. Um, but as we continue hearing about Joseph, we're going to be reading from 39 tonight. And so I'll encourage you now to open up your Bibles to chapter 39. If you don't have one, just nudge the person next to you to pass them down. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. So 39 is the 39th chapter in the Bible total. As you find your place on chapter 39, say, I got it. Anybody left? Anybody else found it? Keep going, Matt. I believe in you. Page 29, yes. Thank you for the helpful crowd member. Now, quick spotlight on these Bibles. They are a gift to you. If you do not have a Bible, these are for you to keep. We keep them here because we want to have, give you all the chance to read straight from the Bible. But if this is something that's new to you, then I would, I would, uh, I would really be pumped to see you uh, take this home with you. Uh, but before we get started, I am going to pray. So if you would, bow your eyes, bow your head, close your eyes. Um, you can bow eyes. Watch, I'm going to bow them right now. Bow your eyes. Heavenly Father God, you gave us a, a love letter in the form of, of several books, God, and, and are constantly trying to speak to us through the ways, God, that you've worked in stories and in characters, God, in triumphs and in challenges. And God, I pray that tonight, God, that we would see the truth behind your message, God, that it would resonate with us, God, and it would cause us to self-reflect, God, and aspire ultimately for change, to aspire ultimately, God, to draw closer to you. 
God, conviction is, is, a, is a very sincere thing, God, when it's from you. So, God, I pray that tonight, God, we would be convicted. God, and I thank you for the message from Daniel, God, and just how true it is, God, that you care about us whether our heart beats for you or not. God, I pray that it would be you speaking through me tonight. God, that you would use this opportunity to change all of us. Amen. Okay, so the nice thing about Genesis and the nice thing about the story of Joseph is that it's just that. It's a story. It's, it's, it's a narrative about this guy's life. And so, like, different from, like, reading some of the books in the New Testament where it's very, like, poetic and kind of hard to understand at times, this should look like a, you know, like a book you've read. You're just, you're just learning about this character, Joseph. And so while this is a big chapter to read, I'm going to read all of it. And so you can follow along, or if it's easier for you to understand, you can listen as I read and not read along, but whatever you want to do. But I'm going to read all of chapter 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, whom had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted his, uh, to his care everything that he owned. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and all of the owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so Potiphar left everything that he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not have to concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. Now now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Heck yeah. And after a while, his master's wife took notice to Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. So how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. You can put in parentheses there, naked. He ran out of the house naked. She kept his cloak beside her until his ma- oh, I skipped a part. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called to her household servants, look, she said to him, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Verse 16. She kept his cloak beside her until her master came home. Then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you bought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story of his wife, uh, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was was there in the prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he made him responsible for all that was done there. 
the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So I know that was a lot, and if you followed along, kudos to you. But a quick recap. So basically, he's bought by this guy Potiphar. Potiphar is a, a Egyptian uh, military leader, and he's working. He's dominating life at Potiphar, being a slave, being awesome there. Potiphar puts him in charge of everything because he sees that God is with him. Potiphar's wife thinks he's good-looking, wants to sleep with him. He says no. He says no again, and he says no every time, and until finally it comes to the breaking point where he literally runs away from her as she tears away at his clothes, basically. This all resolves to him getting thrown now into prison after becoming a slave. He gets thrown into prison, and then there at prison you see him kind of becoming like one of like the head prisoners. And so as we begin to dissect through tonight, as I said at the beginning when I was praying, is that I want to look at these areas of Joseph and choose out some, some points of what it means to be a boss. What, is, what does it mean? Why are we calling this series like a boss? Why do we consider Joseph like a boss? And so the very first point that you can find on your notes, if you are filling out your notes, is that being like a boss is noticeable, is noticeable. You see in verse 3 and 4, it says, when his master saw the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of the household, and he entrusted his care to his care everything that he owned. So the reason why I include this, the reason why I think that being a boss and what kind of exemplifying boss-likeness does for you is that it's very noticeable. Now, the truth further behind that is that that would be true for both the positive and the negative. You have a reputation around yourself, whether you are aware of it or not, because that's how people perceive you. Now, you see here that Joseph's reputation was one of great success. So as I said, it, it, it's, it works in both directions. It, it, can be a positive, uh, it can be a positive aspect of your character. It can be a negative aspect of your character. But the thing is, you see here is that in Joseph's case, it was a very positive one. You saw that God was blessing everything that he was doing. So Potiphar, and this is the other cool thing about it being noticeable. Potiphar, who is a unchristian, he's an Egyptian official, sees God so, so vividly in the way that Joseph lived that he would acknowledge the validity of God and the power behind God and appoint Joseph in charge of all that he had. It's, it's, it's an insane thing to think that that would then be true for us as well and that we would begin to have influence just with the way that we live just with the actions and the decisions that we make, to even people who would say that they don't know who God is or, or would actively deny Jesus. Because you see that very same thing happening here for Joseph and Potiphar. You also see that it was God that entrusted him to this point. You, you are going to see one of my favorite things about Joseph throughout all of the chapters we're going to read about him is that he has just this like unwavering faith. He has this confidence above all things that that dream he had in the very beginning is going to come true regardless of the circumstances that he's currently a part of. And you would think that after he has this dream that his brothers are going to bow down to him, and the very next stage in the process is that he becomes a slave, followed later by him becoming a prisoner. I would, if I was him, I would be giving up at this point. I'm like, you know, obviously I'm getting further and further away from my goal of having people bow down to me, of me being in charge of things. And yet you see that God is, is consistently with him along the way, and he's consistent in his focus on that. Now, as we move on, the second point that I wanted to put, point out about being boss-like is that being like a boss comes with responsibilities. It comes with responsibilities. You see in verses 5 and 6, it says, From the time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. 
The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything that he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything but the food that he ate. Um, I don't consider this like tooting my own horn, but I would consider myself a, a, a leader in my faith. When I was a student, I was one of our, our you know, leader students. And, and largely, I would say a lot of that was, was insincere. It wasn't necessarily this, this like calling I had from God that I had to be this, this next level guy because it was you know, going to be to his glory. And it was far more concerned with, with kind of the, the way that I was perceived, the life that I was leading. And now the good thing with God is that even when I'm doing something probably not 100% for the right reasons, he's faithful to, to show up in those ways. And so now looking back, I'm very thankful that I lived a life of leadership in those ways because one of the things that I think is so important about being like a boss and when I talk about responsibilities, as you see here with Joseph, is that the life that you lead matters. And for me, what came to be like the ultimate kind of gut check is I looked at kind of the reason why I had to be consistent with my faith and, and unwavering on, amongst things that would challenge me otherwise is because there were young men that were younger than I was at the time that were falling behind me, looking at me and saying to myself, that's the guy that I want to grow to become. And for you ladies and you guys that are out there right now, and even for me today, it's like the ultimate gut check that I'm talking about becomes that if you were younger than you are right now, would you be looking at yourself at a, as a point of faith that you would want to reach? Are you currently setting the tone to the younger generation, the people behind you, of something to aspire towards? Is your relationship with God something that you would seek after if you were looking up to yourself? And the nice thing about God is that if the answer is no, he still loves us. And if the answer is like sometimes yes, he still loves us. He's, he's, he's not concerned with perfection because Christianity isn't, it's, it's not about perfect people succeeding. It's about broken people who are committed to trying, trying to evangelize, trying to love, trying to share our faith with other people. And so the life that you lead very much does matter. And so that you see that he's responsible with, lot, with, with much. He's responsible with much in a very physical sense. He's, he's you know, in charge of the household and the fields, and he wasn't a stranger to this. He grew up in a... Um, a shepherding family. All his brothers and his family were all shepherds, so he knew about jobs. He knew about what was kind of called to him, and to him it was saying at that moment that if I'm going to be a slave to this man, well, then I'm going to be the best slave. I'm going to be the, the number one slave. I'm going to do exactly what he asks of me. I'm going to make him be concerned with nothing. I'm going to rise to the occasion of even being a slave. And that popularity that is I would consider probably the, the other side of it. So if, if there's like these physical ways that are responsible, I think of some other ways that we would be responsible uh, with being a boss, like is something as simple as, as being popular. I was, uh, I was very popular in high school. I had lots of friends. Um, and again, it sounds lame saying that up here. But um, it's certainly real to me now that the reason why I had the influence that I had and the reason why God um, surrounded me with such people was to be an influence. And if I'm being completely honest up here, far more oftentimes than not, I, I came up short in that regard. I would exist amongst these friends that didn't know God. I wasn't ever necessarily actively attempting to, to see change in them or, or to bring about anything different. But I think so often we just, we just equate these, these 
things as natural about like our personality. Like, okay, well, like I'm very friendly, so that's just kind of like my thing. I'm a friendly person, and like I like this or I like that. But you got to understand that in everything that we have and everything that we possess, it's a gift from God. And that in that way that we can be responsible in being a boss is, is being even responsible with something as simple as our popularity. Now, the point that I really want to focus on tonight the most, uh, because it's, it's, I feel like kind of has the, the strongest reach, is that being a boss like, or being a boss comes with challenges. Being a boss comes with challenges. You see this very apparent in verses 11 and 12. It says, one day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. You see the situation with Joseph, when he's entrusted with much, that's when he's at most risk for, for, for failure. You see that the wife of Potiphar wasn't like, okay, like, you know, you should come to bed with me. And he says, no. And she says, oh, yeah, that's so cool. You know, you see that she asks him over and over again, as it says in the scripture here, and that he has to be consistent in standing up to these challenges. And so you would see that he was, he was unwavering in that. You see that, for me, I feel like the often, let me take a quick water. The often thing that I think happens to us is that we assume that temptation is the failing point. And Daniel kind of talked about this in, in, his, in his deal earlier. Temptation is in no way the point of failure. So often in my life, I assume when I'm being tempted that I've already messed up. Temptation is, is in its definition, is, it's being tempted. It's the crossroads between drawing what you think God is calling you towards between what you would call for yourself. And that temptation in that nature becomes this opportunity instead of being this temptation. It becomes this opportunity for you to choose God over choosing yourself. It's the fork in the road where I'm standing and I go, well, I know God's calling me to this, but my computer's calling me to this. I'm going to choose God. And so when I think about that, I think about all the times when I've given in to temptation in the negative way and, and the repercussions of that, both, both guilt and shame and, and whatever it may be. And I think about how, how wasted that stuff was because in the opposite side of that, if I choose God, the same pain and regret and shame that comes with temptation and giving in in the negative way becomes joy and triumph and success and celebration when you choose God in those moments. And so you see Joseph, he's consistent in resisting this temptation. The other thing that you see that is a big warning on this temptation front is that he's alone. It says that when no other servant was in the house is when this happens. He's at, by far, and how we would see it in the world, and even as, again, as Daniel mentioned it, when it's, quote, unquote, in the dark. There's no other man in this house. It's just him and Potiphar's wife. You could picture him saying to himself, well, no one else would know. No one else would find out. I'll easily get away with this. And those are the same conversations that we have with ourselves when we, when we go down these routes that we think that nobody is watching or that nobody knows. What we think that is done in, you know, secret. And I put quotes around secret because, frankly, as God exists, nothing is secret. And a big part of us even winning and gaining the ground and being, temp- and being tempted and, and choosing God above it is realizing that from the beginning is that God is there as well. But the reason why I focus on him being alone is that he has no accountability. There's not people around him in this moment that are there to kind of spur him along and keep him focused on the right thing. And in that, he's, I would say, like, if there's any part to Joseph that I would be like, come on, man, what are you doing? 
is that he, he just wasn't wise in this moment. He, wasn't, he didn't see what was going to happen when he walked into this place where he was going to be tempted and he'd have nobody else around him. And so in the same way, the call for us is wisdom if we're going to be a boss because my temptations might differ from, you know, your temptations. And in that same way as I talked earlier about me having a pretty consistent lifestyle when I was growing up, one of the things I was never tempted with was alcohol and drugs. I never had the, the desire to. And part of that was from seeing it abused in, in people around me. But, like, just by the grace of God, it just never, like, I never cared to. Like, soda was fine. Like, I just, I didn't care. But I had lots of friends who drank and partied and had all kinds of fun with all the kinds of different stuff. But for me, it became an awesome thing for me to, I could go to the parties and I could go and hang out with all these friends who were doing all these things that otherwise could have caused my, like, demise and failure and have no issue just being there and talking and having fun and loving on them. But by that same token, like, I'm not going to start an evangelistic ministry at a strip club. I'm not going to go somewhere where temptation would, you know, be to my weakness. And so you have to understand and have wisdom of the situations that you're allowing yourself into where temptation is going to beset upon you. And strengthen yourself with accountability with people around you in those situations that you know that you're going to be most tempted. One of my favorite things that I've kind of, I feel like, discovered about this passage that's so cool is that it's very similar to Adam and Eve. And you hear the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the two first people on the earth. God creates Adam, and then from Adam, he creates Eve. And he shows them all of the Garden of Eden and says, you have dominion and, and, and authority over everything. The only thing you can't do is just eat fruit from this one tree. Everything else, everything else. There's thousands of other trees with delicious fruit, just, just not this one. And Adam and Eve, you know, they're, they're excited, they're having fun, they're enjoying everything, and they start getting this sneaking thought of like, you know, well, why not? Why, why can't I have that one, that one thing? You know, why is he trying to take that from me? You know, he doesn't want me to have it. And, and they decide for themselves that they'd rather have the one thing compared to everything else. Now, with Joseph, you see the opposite. You see that he's given everything, told not to do the one thing, Potiphar's wife, and he continues down that path of, of saying to himself, if I'm going to weigh everything against what my, math, my master has entrusted me with versus being selfish and giving in a temptation in this one area, I'm going to choose blessing my master. I'm going, to choose, I'm going to choose the high road on this one. And the reason why I like this so much is because I hear nine times out of ten when I have a conversation with somebody about their faith. The reason why they say to me, Cole, you know, God is not for me. Christianity is not for me because they have this thing that they're unwilling to give up. You know, I struggle with this, so I can't be a Christian. I don't want to give up that because I don't, because I, you know, so I can't be a Christian. I drink on the weekends. I can't be a Christian. I, I hang out with the wrong crowd. I can't be a Christian. And so often that their comment is that, that they're unwilling to give up this one thing because they, they think that's what they desire more and that's what they want more. And as, as we heard earlier, and I'm going to reference it several times tonight, but with, with God, he doesn't care whether our heart beats for him or, for not, or if it does not. And that he loves us even in those moments. And that if we had a mentality to begin to weigh these options in our mind and say to ourselves, I would rather choose God and choose him over the one thing that I think that I want for myself. Because what you begin to see is that the, the everything else that's offered to you is just so far and away more for your benefit. And so far and away more for your blessing. And that that one thing that seemed like it was like, you know, it should have been the thing I wanted the most. You'll watch yourself that, that your desire for that will begin to change. And so when I have those conversations with those people, that's always what I say back to them. I was like, God is not concerned with whatever X is, whatever that thing is that you think holds you back from him. 
He wants you. He wants to know you. And I promise you what begins to happen as you begin to know him is that one thing just, it just diminishes and diminishes and diminishes. The last thing I want to focus on in being like a boss is at the very end in verses 19 and 20. It says, when his master heard the story of his wife's uh, told to him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. The fourth point is that being like a boss comes with not getting your way. It's just the truth of the world that we live in. And the fact of all of it is that God honors us in our obedience, whether we're aware of it or not. And while things may seem to go opposite of how we intended them to go, and we say to ourselves, well, I don't get it. Like, I chose to not go to that place or do that thing. Why is this now going against me? It's because our perspective is not big enough. We're not seeing it from God's advantage point or vantage point. And so we know that we're not being obedient for the sake of getting something back to us. Because if, if, if obedience was... was the factor of which we received our reward, then we would be like so beyond in debt. Thank goodness it's not based on our own obedience. Thank goodness it's based on grace. But I think so often the case is that we have this this natural thought that like, okay, I'll be good as long as things go good for me. And that when the things start to not go my way, well then obviously I got to get mine. I got to protect me. I'll be selfish if it means I don't get hurt. But you've got to understand that the calling from God is, is a standard that we have to arise to. All these components of being like a boss, I don't know if y'all were at church this morning, but Mark did an incredible job. And he was talking about community. And one of the things that like, hit home the hardest for me is that he just basically said, it's, it's, we have to grow up. You've got to understand that even as like, students, you can grow up in your faith, like now, like Grow up, and, and this is a call to me as much as it is a call to all of us. But he said we have to grow up, and we have to realize that it's, it's no longer okay to just decide what parts of, of our faith and what parts of God's calling in our lives that we want to actually claim or that we actually want to aspire towards. And so he was point, painting it in the light of, like, the person in the audience who says, you know, like, well, I don't really want to be that involved. I, you know, I don't really feel like I, I want to be that invested. And he says, you know, you have to grow up. You have to realize it's not an option. It's not like I get to choose this for myself. God's called us to something that we have to arise to. Now, the awesome thing about God is that although that is our calling, that our calling is technically our calling is perfection, but he is the, the filler that happens on an infinite scale between how hard we try, how much we attempt to reach that point, and how short we come from perfection him, which he just he fills that gap. And so we have to be faithful. We have to be like a boss even when things don't go our way. Because you see that even in, even in those moments that God was still faithful, verses 21 and 20, through 23, he says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him his kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all that he held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. 
You see that even when things seemingly went the opposite way from how Joseph hoped that they would, God was still faithful. And in the same way, even when things seem to go the opposite way of when we're obedient, you've got to understand that God's still faithful. Um, so as I uh, invite the band back up tonight and, and move towards closing, closing, move towards closing, um, I have a couple different kind of ways that we can respond. So the first one is as, as we kind of go right back through the same chapter that we just read. At the very beginning, we have to, some of us, your prayer tonight might be that, God, I've been living life with no intention of being a boss. I've never, I've never desired to have any responsibility. And so your prayer tonight might be that God would well up something inside you to be that influence in people's lives and that he would grant you people around you and friends and family and opportunities for you to share your faith and opportunities for you to be boss-like. And that might be one of your responses. One of your responses might be that you would have strength against temptation. That just like Joseph, you would say to yourself that it doesn't matter what thing the devil comes at me with because I have everything when I have God. I have everything when I have God. Temptation and and the enemy, he's going to do his most intense work when you are the most boss-like. People on the top don't get tempted less. You see Jesus get tempted in the garden. It's not, it's not a matter of a lack of faith. It's nothing like that. But you have to understand there's a very real force that's going to be working against you in your relationship with God. And so maybe tonight that's, that's your prayer, is that, that strength in temptation and strength to fight against whatever the enemy might, might be throwing towards you. And the very final thing, and this is something that we always do here at United, is that for some of y'all, you, you're, you're hearing me now, and this is all news to you. You don't, you don't get this whole idea of, of God becoming our perfection and him um, paying for our debt and, and that our obedience to him is, is based on his works and not ours. And so I want to invite anybody here that is tonight, that's here tonight, that if this is something that you want for yourself, if, if, if the boss-likeness of God is something that you want living inside you, because that's ultimately what this whole, this whole thing about is about. It's, it's, yes, it's celebrating how faithful Joseph was. But Joseph was faithful because God was working so radically inside him. And I promise you, he wants to do the same thing in you. He wants to do huge, miraculous events through you. And so if that is you, if you've said to yourself, you know, I've, I've waited long enough or this is, this is a decision that I want to make tonight, or if it's something that you want to talk with somebody about tonight, grab me, grab one of the adults in the room. This is like 100% what United is about. It's about you guys experiencing God in a way that would cause you to change, cause you to grow. And as I said at the beginning, like our, our responsibility then becomes, like if you are saying to me right now, Cole, that's not for me because I already believe, well, then your responsibility is going out and bringing people in. I know that the numbers thing gets frustrating because you're thinking, all you care about is how many people are here. Heck, yes, I care about how many people are here because when people are here, they get to hear about God. They get to hear about a love that has so radically changed my life that how would it not even begin to change theirs in one moment, in one sermon, in one message, in 10 minutes at the end of a message? Who's to say that it wouldn't happen then? 
And so the same challenges I'm saying to y'all are the challenges for me. And I would encourage you tonight and respond in whatever way you want. You can, I'll invite the leaders to stand on the sides. If you want to pray with your leader about strength and temptation, if you want to pray up front about God just giving you influence in your life and with friends. Or as I said, the very last thing I'm going to pray right now. If you're out there and y'all can all bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you're out there and right now, this is what you want for you. If this is, you want God's forgiveness, you want his grace. You're tired of doing it on your own. Then I'll encourage you to say to yourself and pray this inside. And, and my words are, are not special. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Christ Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So a relationship with him is as is, is far away as that. Like Daniel said, we have the lock and the key. God gives us the key to the lock that is our sin, the lock that is our, our debt. He created the entrance, formed the exit. He's done it all. And so that's you tonight. Pray with me. Heavenly Father God, I'm so tired of trying to do this on my own. God, I know that if perfection is the goal, I will never reach it on my own. So God, I ask that you would be my perfection. God, I ask for your forgiveness. I claim you as the Lord of my life. Come into my heart right now. Now for the rest of us, God, we just pray, God, that you would be so radically stirring in our hearts that sitting idle would not be an option anymore. That we would have faith that is so unshaken amidst circumstances, God, that when things don't go our way, we sing, it is well with my soul anyway. God, I pray that you would make a student ministry here that so fervently pursues you that there's not enough room in this building to house the students, God, that we bring to get to experience the same love that we've experienced ourselves. Use us, God. We love you. Amen.